0: Welcome to the 151st episode of the Intellectual Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Intellectual Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Dawson. And we've got an interesting episode coming at you today. As many of you who follow us on social media know, um, I've been dealing with a number of personal issues here at home. My mother is very ill, and um, we've been going through quite a bit with her. So I'm going to take a little bit of time on the show to reminisce a little bit about my parents and... Mostly, I want to just, while it's still fresh in my own head, as best as it can be, I want to try and put down what I know of their history, which is my history. It's the history of how I came to be, and I want to try and convey for the world my understanding of the early years of my parents um, and how they came together, and... I have to admit that I'm really raw emotionally right now. And I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to do this in one go. I may have to take some time to uh, make it happen. Um, yeah, so if you don't know what's going on, my mom, uh, Carlota Dawson, is, uh, has been suffering um, from liver cirrhosis for many, many years, and uh, she has finally moved into end stage and is now also suffering from chronic heart failure, and uh, she's anemic and just has a number of issues going on. Basically, her body is very gradually starting to shut down, and um, after a bout in the ICU this past weekend, and uh, including a battle between the family and the hospital to make sure that her end of life wishes are respected. Um, we finally got her home today. She's on hospice care, uh, which is wonderful. They've been incredible, uh, just in the few hours that we've been dealing with them. They've been a tremendous relief for the family and, uh, she's home now and she's here, uh, really to finish out her life with her family and the people that she loves. So um, there's a lot going on emotionally here at home. And I just want to pay my respects to my parents. My dad passed away in 2007. And those who know him know he was a filmmaking partner of mine as well as my best friend and my father and mentor. And so this episode is for them. Uh, just a reminisce about what I know of how they came together. Talk hard and enjoy the mindgasm. The intellectual podcast starts now. Michael William Dawson, Mick as he preferred to go by, was born June 24th, 1950 in Indianapolis, Indiana to parents Carl Alfred Dawson and Virginia Lee Dawson. He was the second child of four, his older brother Bob, his younger brothers Rick and Jim. They had a classic American upbringing. Uh, if you've ever seen A Christmas Story, my dad often said that that was really kind of the story of his childhood. Um Very much that kind of neighborhood, very much that era, the 1950s, the 1960s growing up in just the simplicity of the world that he saw at the time and uh he was never very athletic uh a little bit on the the nerdy side although i don't believe the term nerd uh quite meant what it means today at that time but he um He was definitely a bookworm type. My grandfather, Carl, taught in public schools, and he taught music for years and years. So my father actually learned to play many instruments, uh, one of which was the bassoon, which he played for many years. And he was also the drum major uh, for his high school. And he always claimed that he got the role of drum major, in the marching band at his high school because he fit the uniform best, not because he was anything special. That was the kind of man my dad always was. He never took credit for being anything special. He always just felt like he got places because he just happened to be the right fit. Um, he did get to March, uh, the Indy 500 one year, uh, leading his marching band. And, uh, He eventually went to Ball State University, uh, where he majored in journalism, and much to his dismay, he left the journalism department after a couple of years of studies because he wrote an article after interviewing Bill Cosby. Mind you, this is the late 1960s. He interviewed Bill Cosby and thought that the guy was... A complete jerk. And he wrote a negative article about Bill Cosby while he was in college and submitted it to his school paper for publishing. When the paper came out the next day, my father was completely dismayed to discover that his article had been summarily deleted uh, from the publication by the editor. And his photo of Bill Cosby still existed and his byline of Mick Dawson still existed. But the story that ran underneath it was pretty much whittled down to just a photo caption that stated that beloved comedian and actor Bill Cosby visited Indiana and performed at Ball State. And my father confronted the editor of the newspaper about that and was told that it was not in the best interests of the paper to write anything negative about beloved comedian Bill Cosby. And there was no way that that article would ever see the light of day. So my father became very disillusioned in journalism. Mind you, again, this is the late 1960s. And he decided to no longer pursue a journalism degree, and in so doing, lost a lot of credits and found himself in danger of being drafted into the Vietnam War. So to avoid being drafted, he grabbed his brother, his older brother, Bob, who was struggling himself to find his way in college and was also uh, in trouble of being drafted and the two of them enlisted in the Navy, figuring that serving on a ship would be better than pounding around in the rice paddies in Vietnam. And that brought my dad to San Diego, which uh, he did his boot camp at Liberty Station, which is now a mall and apartment complex and whatever else. But in the 1960s, it was one of the, the big training depots for uh, Navy personnel preparing to go to war. So my dad came to San Diego for the first time, I believe it was 1969. And as he said, uh, the day he set foot in San Diego was the day he realized he'd found the place he wanted to live out the rest of his life. And that no matter what he had to do, he would eventually find his way back to San Diego, um, to live. And as it turned out, that's exactly what he did. And, in the end, um his ashes now reside at fort Rosecrans uh up uh, on Point Loma um He's in the niche wall overlooking uh San Diego, which is uh, a gorgeous, beautiful place and uh yeah, so he uh he knew from the day he set foot in San Diego that this was where he wanted to end up and He uh, he made sure that that's what happened. Now, in February, on the fifth day of 1955, on the other side of the planet, Carlota Sanchez Fronteras was born. My mother was born in Cebu, a city on the southern islands of the Philippines. She was born uh, into poverty, the daughter of a woman who already had one son and was involved with a man who already had another family. So my mother grew up uh, keenly aware that she was part of the other family. And uh, as such, I think, always kind of felt like she was not 100% worthy um, of full affection and love. She ended up being the second child of, I believe, seven brothers and sisters. And she bounced around through the years um, between living with her mother, uh, living with various aunts and uncles, and um, experienced Well, experienced the joys of island living, for one. She learned to be a hula girl. She learned to play the guitar. She was a very talented and beautiful woman who made the most of her situation. She also uh, suffered great um, tragedies as a youth, uh, including... um, abuses that in America would result in massive amounts of disciplinary action to the adults around her. Abuses of uh, physical, mental, and sexual. And um you know, a child of the Philippines in the nineteen fifties, sixties and seventies um did not have a lot of protections. And my mother Uh, dealt with those things as best she could. Um, She was very intelligent and uh, through everything managed to keep her studies up. Um, She found herself uh, on the verge of going to university uh, as she approached her college years. And that's about the time she met my father. My father was in the Navy at this time. This is now 1973. And he was on shore leave in Manila. And he and his buddies were wandering the streets trying to find something to do. Trying to stay out of trouble. Uh, My dad was not one for trouble. Um, And eventually they came across a bar where they heard a woman singing. And my father uh, instantly was drawn by the voice that he heard and wanted to know who was attached to this angelic voice. Uh, the song that was being played, I believe was killing me softly and they, he and his buddies went into the bar and when they entered the bar, my mother, a whopping 17 years old, Uh, Maybe 18 years old at that point um, was sitting on a stool, uh, strumming a guitar and playing music. And my dad basically fell head over heels for her as soon as he laid eyes on her. And he went to the bartender and asked the bartender uh, if he could uh, get to know the young lady who was playing the music. And the bartender told him that her mother was sitting off to the side of the stage and he needed to go talk to her. So my dad approached my grandmother and said, I want to meet your daughter. To which my grandmother, uh, who had many kids at this point, um, looked at my father and said, yeah, sure. I'll be happy to send my daughter over to talk to you. Uh, Go sit over there. And when she's done, I'll send her over. So my dad and his buddies all sat down listened to the rest of my mom's set. And when she was done, she came off the stage and went and talked to my grandmother. And my grandmother said, you need to go talk to that white boy over there. My mother was instantly offended and told my grandmother that under no uncertain circumstances, was she going to go talk to this Navy boy, this U.S. Navy boy who wanted to get to know the local, if you know what I mean. Because there was a lot of that going on at the time. And my grandmother told my mom she had no choice that she was going to go talk to the nice white man because he was polite and showed interest. And, of course, for my grandmother, she's looking at my dad as a means of maybe marrying off one of her daughters and potentially reaping some of the benefits of having an American son-in-law, uh, who potentially could bring some sort of wealth or prestige to the family. So my mom in all her feistiness wandered over to my dad reluctantly and walked up and said, which one of you is Mick? And my dad said me and his buddies all pointed at him and laughed and my mom immediately launched into a tirade of, I don't care who you think you are. I'm not that kind of girl. I'm never, ever going to sleep with you. (laughs) And that was how my dad met my mom (laughs) with my mom telling him under no uncertain circumstances, was she ever going to sleep with him? And of course he, uh, being the man that he was said, of course, no, I just wanted to get to know you. His buddies all laughing and, you know, poking fun at him because my mother is, she's a pistol and I can only imagine how much more of a pistol she was when she was 17, 18 years old and full of fire and, in youth. Um, but she, uh, she agreed to sit down and she talked to my dad and his buddies and she, found that she didn't dislike him. Uh, I wouldn't say that my mother fell in love with him right away. She just definitely didn't dislike him. And uh, she agreed to let him contact her again. And so over the course of the next year, my dad sent her love letters, many of which we actually have in storage here. Um, Beautiful letters. My dad was such a wonderful and talented writer, but he wrote her these beautiful love letters. So beautiful, in fact, that my mom, even through their divorce years later, and many, many things falling by the wayside over the years, my mom never lost this box of love letters that my dad wrote to her during their courtship. Um, Absolutely amazing. Anyway, my dad sent her love letters every time he had shore leave, he would come back and meet her. He did the classic chaperoned, uh, dating, uh, rituals with my mom. So he would pick her up and he'd also take her out along with one of her brothers or an uncle (laughs) or a really good family friend, or sometimes many of them in addition to my mother. Um, and he was fine with that. He, he just wanted to spend time with her. He really, really fell for my mom hard very quickly. And over time, my mom softened up and softened up and really came to appreciate my dad and who he is and how gentle he was and how respectful he was of not just her, but of the family and their traditions and how they did things. And, uh, eventually my dad wanted to marry her and he won the money that he needed to buy her an engagement ring, uh, playing poker on the ship. (laughs) Um, and so he got her a ring, he proposed, she said yes. Um, and they got married and that's a very complicated story too, that incorporates, Many, many things happening, including my grandmother beating up my mom before the wedding. Uh, my mom showing up about an hour, hour and a half late for the wedding and having to use tons of makeup to hide the bruising that my grandmother inflicted upon her on her wedding day. Um, but my mom got through it and uh, the two of them were wed in 1974 my dad immediately went into uh, an active mode of trying to get my mom permission to leave the Philippines with him now that she was his wife. Um, and he, uh, he told me that he had to bribe a lot of officials to make that happen, but he managed to get my mom out of the country very quickly to bring her home with him. But before they came home, they followed the traditions of the Philippines and they visited all the different families all over the islands uh, over the course of two weeks and, uh, you know, broke bread with everybody. Um, the interesting thing about that story is about maybe along the second house that they had a meal in, uh, they had made a pineapple spread and my dad just, gushed over the pineapple. He just loved the pineapple. This pineapple is so good, so juicy, it's so delicious. I've never had pineapple like this. Well, naturally, that part of the family contacted the next household who contacted the next household. And before you knew it, every single household for the next two weeks had giant pineapple spreads for my father to eat. And they really only made them for him. They made these giant... Amazing pineapple spreads just for my dad. Now, if you've ever tried to eat something as acidic as pineapple every meal for days on end, you would understand how horribly difficult that is on your mouth. Uh, my dad started to discover that very quickly. Uh, it took a couple of days. And he said by the end of the first week, his tongue was swollen, his lips were chapped, his teeth were super sensitive. And he was begging my mom to tell everybody to stop making him pineapple spreads. And she kept telling him under no uncertain circumstances was he to stop eating the pineapple. It would offend her family members. And he was not to offend them and embarrass her. (laughs) So my dad suffered through two weeks of pineapple hell after marrying my mom. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so just it's funny after he died in 2007 uh the san diego surf cup soccer tournaments uh dedicated the vip lounge at the san diego surf cup to my dad because he was very instrumental over a course of 15 years and helping that soccer tournament become one of the most prestigious youth soccer tournaments in the country and um when they dedicated the VIP lounge, uh, and turned it into the Mick Dawson VIP lounge. Um, one of the things they did for several years afterwards is they kept putting pineapples out with the spreads (laughs) just to remember him. Um, which I thought always was very touching. Um, and eventually it got to a point where they were putting pineapples out and the people who were putting pineapples out never really understood why. And I, I got to relay this story to them. Uh, for several years and explained to them why the pineapples were important. Um but Yeah, so in 1974 they were married and they came to the US. They lived in Long Beach for a period of time. Um uh, my dad took me on a tour of Long Beach once upon a time and showed me the apartment that they lived in, little tiny apartment. Um And my mom learned to drive a car there. She learned to cook there. Um, it's funny. She really didn't have a lot of the domestication that we're so familiar with in the states. She didn't drive. She didn't cook. She didn't know how to, you know, make her own bed. I mean, I mean, there was just all these things that she just didn't learn to do in the Philippines. Um, and suddenly she was having to figure it out here. And that, of course, translated in all the classic culture shock situations, Um, not the least of which was when he was trying to when my dad was trying to teach my mom how to drive. She panicked at one point, bolted across uh, a multi lane, uh, busy street, um, zooming against traffic to begin with, and then eventually driving over the center median to get to the correct side of the street. Um, and just gunning it instead of breaking and freaking my dad out. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he told me later he had no idea what he was getting into and he married my mom. <laughs> um, but that it was always one hell of a ride. Um, eventually my dad's tour with the navy was up and he was at a point where he needed to re up or get out and they decided to re up, but what he did was he put in to train um at the nuke school. And so uh he did that because I was on the way. And he didn't want to be on ship when his son was born. So they ended up moving to Idaho because at the time, and I don't know if it's still true, but at the time, the Navy nuke school was in central Idaho. So they moved to Pocatello. And at the time that they moved to Pocatello in 1974, late 1974, early 1975, my mom was one of only three Filipinos who lived in Pocatello, Idaho. And all three of them knew each other. They were all three military brides. And, uh, there's a whole bunch of stories associated with that. And I actually have videotape of my dad from when we went to visit Idaho together, um, telling me a bunch of those stories. So maybe I'll publish those to our YouTube channel at some point. Um, great to hear him tell the stories. They're fantastically funny. Um, but eventually I was born on May 18th, 1975. That's, um, we are one month shy right now of the 41st anniversary of my birth. And I was born in Bannock Memorial hospital, um, to Mick Dawson and Carlota Dawson. And, uh, eventually I was the oldest of three kids with my sister, Teresa Dawson. Now Teresa Dawson Davis, uh, born in May 25th. 1979 at Mercy Hospital here in San Diego. And my baby sister, Laura Marie Dawson, now Laura Marie Davis, uh, was born July 29th, 1982, in Cincinnati, Ohio. My parents loved us deeply. My parents provided the best upbringing they could to their children. They made mistakes. (laughs) Some of them were doozies. But at no point in time, no matter what was happening, did anybody in my family ever feel like they were unloved? And even with a divorce and hardships between the two of them, before my father died, my parents managed to find a place of friendship and peace with one another, with my mom actually attending the funerals of both my uncle Bob and my grandmother in the years preceding my father's death, and when my mom realized this weekend That her end is in fact approaching. One of the very first things she told me was how much she looked forward to seeing my dad again. I don't know how long we have with my mom. The prognosis is six months or less. I know that for whatever time we have left, I plan on making the most of it with her, not in that I'm going to take her anywhere or do anything dramatic, just that I want to spend time with her and talk to her and try and solidify in my own mind her stories Because her stories are where my stories begin. They're part of my makeup. They always will be. And for good or bad, my mom made very, very difficult decisions about her children when she was making decisions on how to live her life post my parents' divorce and while I did not understand a lot of those decisions that she made at the time I recognize them now as an adult for what they were which was they were selfless acts she made some very difficult decisions to stay away from me and my sisters for many years Not because she didn't love us, but because she loved us with every fiber of her being. And she knew that the life she was leading was toxic, dangerous, and not a place for her children to be. And rather than do what many people encouraged her to do, which was fight for the custody of her children because she's the mom. She actually made the strongest most selfless decisions on a continual basis for many years to put our needs ahead of her own and had us live with our dad almost exclusively. And I made her suffer for that growing up because I didn't understand and for that I will always feel deep deep regret I I understand now and I love her so much in the last 12 years almost 13. My mother has managed to experience both of my sisters getting married. She has experienced four grandbabies being born and not just experienced that she was in the room for all four of them. She helped my sisters through their labors. She's a remarkable woman. She has been battling a failing liver for the better part of 10 years. She managed to kick successfully a meth habit. She managed to survive many years without her children because she had the strength of character to know that she was not fit to have us around and it was not safe for us to be around her. And she did what was right for us at the time. She experienced abuse and suffering as a child that no child should ever experience. And she came through on the other side, a loving, caring, generous, and kind person almost to a fault to where she was taken advantage of and manipulated and deceived many, many times even through her adult life. But she continued to choose to be the person she always wanted others to be to her. And My hope is that I have the strength and the grace and the intelligence to recognize my limitations the way she did to continue to love and respect others, regardless of their upbringings, regardless of their social status. And regardless of how they treat me the way she did. She's a remarkable woman. And I am infinitely grateful that before this heavy downturn, My mother was able to see me win some awards for filmmaking at this year's San Diego Film Awards. They're a local award show. They meant everything to my mother. As far as she's concerned, they were the Oscars. And she is incredibly happy that she had that opportunity. I don't know what the schedule for the podcast will be over the next few weeks as I deal with the emotions of what is happening here at home. I... Ask for everybody to be understanding. Please don't feel like you have to avoid uh, talking to me or to anybody in my family. We are incredibly open about what is happening. Our parents were very upfront with us about death. We aren't afraid of it, we aren't afraid to talk about it, we aren't afraid to explain it. Please feel free to reach out to us. Um, But this situation, the experiences we are about to go through, however long they last, are going to be my priority going forward. So, scheduling for podcast interviews will be dependent upon my availability based on situations and needs that are dictated by what's going on here at home. So for the foreseeable future, the Intellectual Podcast will continue to be intermittent. And I hope that you stick with us uh, through it we will eventually get back on a regular track. It's what I want to do. It's my joy. It is the podcast that made my appearance on stage at the Film Awards even possible. And for that, I thank all of you who listen to the show. I thank all of you who... Contributed to our crowdfunding campaign for Things Happen and I thank all of you who worked on these films that won all these awards and were nominated for awards without you I would not have been able to give my mom that amazing moment of seeing me win an award you know in the end it doesn't mean much to me I mean, I'm happy I won them, and I look forward to being able to tout those awards in some way to help my career, but they meant the world to my mom they mean the world to my mom, and the podcast you're listening to the podcast your interest and involvement in working with myself and my family and my crew made all the world's difference to my mom in these final days. And for that, I will be eternally grateful. Carla, Steve, Jessica Gerain, my cousin Eric, Mark Atkinson, Kristen Naomi, Teresa, and Brian. Without you guys, this podcast wouldn't exist. The amazing things that have come from this podcast wouldn't have happened. And for that, I thank all of you from the bottom of my heart. If you're still listening to this episode, thank you. It's just the tip of the iceberg of how my parents met. It's the Cliff Notes. But I wanted to put it out there and just talk about them a little bit.